0: look at Moses okay isn't it quiet when you shut that back door (laughs) Father in heaven please give us the help of the Holy Spirit right now for he who inspired scripture is the interpreter of scripture and we pray we'll be taught of God today. Thank you that you call us out of unbelief, out of sin, to live lives of faith in you through Jesus, to live no longer for ourselves but for your honour. What a privilege, what a calling. Thank you Father in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, next to Abraham, there's no one greater in Jewish history than Moses. 400 years after the children and tribes of Israel went to Egypt under the protection of Joseph, they were slaves there. Things had changed dramatically. The favor they'd received through Joseph in Egypt had all dissipated. They were now a cruelly oppressed people, slave workers on Egyptian building projects. And after 400 years... God raised up Moses to be their leader, to bring them out from Egypt and become God's nation, living for his honor. A prototype of us, the church of Jesus Messiah. The first statement here in Hebrews is not actually about Moses, but about his parents. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that he was a beautiful child. Ah, And they were not afraid of the king's command. I want to read, I'm not going to put it up on there, it would take too long to scroll through and I get lost when I do that sometimes. I'm just going to read to you from Exodus, the story, the narrative there. Okay, Exodus 1 verse 15, if anyone wants to flip over and find it. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and another Pura, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The Hebrew midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before a midwife can get to them. <laughs> so God was good to the midwives. Expecting the main men from a midwife or two. And the, the people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile. And let the daughter live. Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. In other words, she waterproofed it, yes? She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. Seeing the basket among the reeds, she sent her slave girl to get it. When she opened it, she saw the child, a little boy, crying. She felt sorry for him and said, This is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Should I go and call a woman from the Hebrews to nurse the boy for you? Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse him for me and I'll pay you wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. So were his parents afraid, or were they not afraid? It depends what they were afraid of. Scripture in Hebrews tells us, they were not afraid of the king's command, which was what? Kill every male infant, throw them in the Nile. I just want to say that this morning that there are times for us as Christians to defy wicked laws. Sometimes governments frame wickedness by law, to quote the scripture. And if it's contrary to the ways of God and contrary to the faith, I will disobey the law. Now they were not afraid of that command and chose to disobey the command. They feared the Lord more than they feared Pharaoh, and they loved Moses more than they feared Pharaoh. And faith and fear are often very close companions. They work like that. Someone once said, faith can hear fear shouting through the wall. It's not that we are without fear, but we have a greater priority to do what is right, to honor and please the Lord. Let me say this, faith and courage are not the absence of fear, they are the overcoming of fear. God help us if you don't fear anything, you're a psychopath. (laughs) You're a dangerous bod. Christian faith overcomes fear. So they put their son in the Nile, but floating in a basket. Crafty, eh? And he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, who found his sister, who found her mum. So the mum ended up raising a boy until he was weaned anyway. But now we start to track Moses himself at about 40 years of age. We'll read on in Exodus 2, then we'll go back to Hebrews. Exodus 2. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people. He knew he was a Hebrew. And he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And looking around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you attacking your neighbor? And he said, who made you a leader and judge over us? Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. And Pharaoh heard about it. And he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now that was the event But Hebrews 11 gives us the reason or reasoning behind Moses acting as he did. Listen, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Paul, writing to the Hebrews, tells us three things that Moses did and then the reason he did them. Firstly, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Secondly, he chose to endure ill treatment with the Hebrews, the people of God, rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, suffering because he was identified with Jesus, the Messiah. He considered that greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. The reason? Because he was looking to the reward. Moses made a choice, a considered choice, a thought-out choice to reject the riches and honor and pleasures of life as an Egyptian prince and instead to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He rejected those passing pleasures of sin. And you, you can imagine, if you like, what passing pleasures were available to Egyptian princes. Let's not be silly about it. Sin is pleasurable. One old hymn says... My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the pleasures of sin I resign. Sin is pleasurable, not just sexual sin. All sin has a thrill, at least for the first time. I'm doing something I shouldn't, I'm getting away with this. There's risk, there's danger, it's exciting, but the pleasure passes. And another time, we need more to get the same rush. Sin is like a drug. It's progressive and addictive. So what happens is a person down the line is no longer wanting to, they have to. And the pleasure's gone. It's just a habit. It's now just a habit. Whatever it is, thieving, lying, fornicating, whatever it is, it's just become a drudge, a habit. You're bound to it. Alcohol, drugs, trapped. What started as pleasure is now painful. Sin is like that. But at the beginning, there are pleasures, but they are passing pleasures. Moses gave up pleasures for purpose. Even then, it seems, he knew that he was called by God to be the leader and deliverer for Israel. But killing one Egyptian at a time and hiding in the sand wasn't going to get him there, was it? And by the way, God hadn't even prepared him and called him to the role yet. There was a process to undergo. So he forsook pleasures for purpose. Then he rejected the treasures, the wealth of Egypt, and considered uh, to, and chose to be identified with the people of God and bear the reproach of Jesus Messiah. He identified himself as a Hebrew rather than an Egyptian. He walked away from being an Egyptian prince. Israel and Egypt were the people of God and the people of Christ. There's no kind of time anachronism, we call it, time lagging that. You see, God is one, his covenant of grace is one, and Jesus appears throughout the Old Testament in the history of Israel, centuries before he came and was born of Mary. They were appearances of the pre-incarnate Christ. The reproach of Christ is to suffer for his name. And Moses reckoned, he summed it up, it's better to suffer as a believer than to be rich in this world. He made that assessment and made decisions accordingly. Far better to suffer as a believer than to gain all the riches of this world. Moses looked for the reward which was beyond tomorrow beyond the next year he was looking way down the line in fact into eternity God himself is our great reward it's what God said to Abraham I am your great reward some people say your reward shall be great but actually there's an I am in there I am your great reward God himself is more valuable to us than wealth and fame so Adapted with, thanks to John Maxwell, it's too small for you to see on the screen, but if you've got notes, you'll read it better, I should think. Here are the choices Moses made and the outcomes. I'll have to read it up here because I can't see (laughs) He gave up being an Egyptian. I'm going to call that a worldling, all right? That's a phrase I got from C.S. Lewis, a person of this world, Mm -hmm. belonging to this world and living for this world, a worldling. And he, re- he was he re- received as a believer. The following things: he identified himself as a Hebrew. In fact, Scripture goes so far as to first say he identified himself with Christ. He gave up being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter to being called a Hebrew. He gave up the pleasures of sin for ill treatment with God's people. He gave up the treasures of Egypt or the world to be reproached as a follower of the Lord. Reproach Messiah. He gave up life in Egypt or the world for life in a wilderness for the rest of his life. He gave up losing his firstborn son. Well, that's not time to give up, is it? We'll catch that in a minute. But if he'd stayed as an Egyptian, his firstborn son would have died during Passover night. But he kept his firstborn son because he was a Hebrew man. He gave up enduring the plague judgments of God, all the judgments of God that God poured out upon the, king, upon the gods of Egypt. Every one of those judgments judged a god of Egypt, by the way. And he received divine protection from the Almighty. He gave up drowning in the Red Sea. He didn't drown in the Red Sea. He and the people with him walked right through it. We sang that earlier, didn't we? Though The Red Sea is similar to something else. We'll see in a minute. And he gave up a life outside of God's purposes for a life of fulfilling God's purposes. However, he had to wait 40 years until he did it God's way rather than his way. John Maxwell also comments, notice the first four all appear negative, but the last four confirm he'd made the right decision. Are you getting the picture? Moses is an example to us. Let's move on. By faith... He left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Hang on a minute, we just read in Exodus, he was afraid and ran for his life, didn't we? Yes, he did. He killed an Egyptian, Pharaoh was trying to kill him, and so he ran away. Listen, this verse is not talking about his escape from Egypt when he was about 40. It's talking about the Exodus that he led when he was about 80. When they walked out, With the Egyptians behind them. When they marched through the Red Sea with the Egyptians behind them. They were not afraid because God was with them. So between verse 26 and 27, 40 years has passed. During which Moses fled from Egypt, became a shepherd, married and had sons. Had the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush. Was sent back to Egypt to deliver Israel. Not in his own strength and confidence but in the authority of the Lord. Those 40 years later, Moses says, don't send me, I can't do it. He thought he could do it 40 years before. I'll I'll make a start with this one. You know, no. no. 40 years later he said, I can't do it. Send someone else. Until God got irritated with him. See, when he knew he was nothing, then God could make him something. The first time he left Egypt, he did so afraid of the king, but the second time he was not afraid. He went and faced Pharaoh, and it was a later Pharaoh, again and again and again. Until... Pharaoh reluctantly finally was broken and allowed them to go. And when Moses left Egypt that second time, he didn't go alone. He left hundreds of thousands of people with him. Why? He was looking to the invisible yet almighty God. He was seeing him who is unseen. The life of faith is God-centered. It's not even needs centred, it's not me centred, it's not let's fix this problem centred, it's God centred. He's our centre, our focus, our helper, our reward. And the next verse is connected directly to that one. How did they leave Egypt? Through the Passover and then through the Red Sea. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. (coughs) I have to tell you a little bit about this Passover. The Passover of Israel took place one night in Egypt, when with the sprinkled blood of a lamb on their doorposts, a people were marked for rescue from judgment. And in their homes that night, they actually fed on the roasted flesh of that same lamb. But meanwhile, while they ate, and perhaps while they fitfully slept, God's messenger of death went through Egypt. And in every home, not marked by the blood of a lamb, the firstborn child died that night. Scripture says the wailing was to be heard. You could hear wailing right across Egypt. as people were grieving over a child that had died. All of that is a picture of the sacrifice, the atonement, the making of peace with God through the blood of Jesus. And of our union and communion with him. They didn't just kill a lamb and put the blood up. They ate the lamb too. And Jesus again and again in the scriptures talks about his body and his blood. We're going to do it again in communion this morning. We feast on him. The lamb of God. He didn't just shed his blood for us. He is our life. We feast on him. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part in me. Whoa, that's going a bit far, Jesus. He means it. We have union and communion with him. We feast on him. He's the source of all things. Jesus has delivered us from judgment and from death by his own sacrifice. In fact, Paul puts it as fiercely as this Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. He is our Passover. He is our peace. He is our deliverer from judgment. He is our savior from death. He is the giver of life to us. He is our food. He's our Passover. So when the Lord gave Moses the procedure for that Passover night, Moses trusted God and obeyed him, and he told the Israelites, and let me tell you this, if by some fluke, by some willful disobedience, whatever else, any Israelite that night had not kept the Passover, marking their home with the blood of a lamb, eating the roasted lamb, their firstborn child would have died that night. They had to obey the word of the Lord. So the faith and obedience of Moses as their leader was becoming the faith and obedience of Israel. He set the course, told them what to do. They went and did it. He led them in keeping the Passover and then he led them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. For Israel, this was their pattern of life. Passover, the lamb slain. Deliverance from the judgment of God. Then they were brought out of their bondage in Egypt through an exodus. Then they were taken through the Red Sea, which pictures what? We'll get there in a minute. Because the next verse of Hebrews, the last one we're looking at today, says it. By faith, not just Moses now, they, Moses and the people, passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And when... And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. You know, I'll tell you the joke again, the story again. I think it was in America, you know, the clash between biblical values and atheistic and humanistic values. So the teacher said, You know, that Red Sea, I won't give them a posh English accent, rather an American one, okay. You know, that Red Sea, it was only a few inches deep, you know, they just waded through. Little Christian boy in the in the in the class said, "Well, Hallelujah!" He said, "What do you mean?" He said, "God drowned those Egyptians in a few inches of water." (laughs) (laughs) Now, the people of Israel may have complained before. I say may have; they did. They raised a fuss. They raised a ruckus, which Moses had to work through. And they may have been very afraid at the time, but they walked, they went, they did it. They set off between those walls of what is, it said, the scripture says the water was heaped up like walls on either side of them. Right? It doesn't say it went and, oh, where's it gone? You could see it. And they walked through the Red Sea as if on dry land. And when they were through, when the last one put his foot on the shore, the waters, and the Egyptians were riding chariots along this dry, you know, a, a seabed. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the walls collapsed. And it says that the Egyptians' bodies, the bodies of the Egyptians, have been washed up on the shore. And Miriam, Moses' sister, got a tambourine and began to dance and sing. They're all dead, they're all dead. Yeah. Seems a bit gruesome, really, in a way, doesn't it? But shall I tell you this? We sometimes need to get an eternal reality on things. No matter how great and powerful our enemies may be, they are but men. And they will die and they will face God. Yes. And when you get that straight in your thinking, you start to think differently about things. Yes. Yeah. While we shall be with him. And we will declare that he is faithful and true and just. Even as he judges the world. Do you know what passing through the Red Sea pictures for us in the Bible? Baptism. 1 Corinthians 10... By the way, we're going to do baptism at the beginning of June. We have two people who are going to be baptized early in June. I thought about May 28th, but some people are going to something called the Big Church Day Out or something, which is not my thing. We'll be low on numbers that day, so we won't do it that day. And I'll drop this. I'm struggling with technology today. Let's hope it still works. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and all passed through the sea. Good. And all were baptized into Moses. See, they were baptized into Moses. Who are we baptized into? Christ. Christ the Lord Jesus. Yeah. In the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. That's the manna that arrived every day from him. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Now, this spiritual drink was running water that flowed from a rock. Yeah? Wherever they were, there was a rock and the rock flowed with water for them. And running water is called in the Bible living water. Did you ever hear read living water? It means water that's running, not stagnant, not still. Running water is living water. It's got air in its bubbles, you know, like a spring. They drank the same spiritual drink they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Whoa, that's a bit of a jump, Paul. The the rock was a picture of Jesus, but for us it is Jesus, is what he means. All right? Paul uses the cloud as signifying the presence of God, God the Holy Spirit, the sea as the water baptism. And then he says that Israel were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. We are baptized in Jesus by water and by the Spirit. Paul then says they ate the same spiritual food, they drank the same spiritual drink. We don't handle pictures, we handle the real person of Jesus. We don't live in in symbolism, we live in the reality. We don't live in the shadow, we live in the fulfillment. What we have is all, what they had was, was great, but what we have is altogether better. That's the message of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Better than those glorious robes and gold on temples and all. Better than all of that, Jesus is better. Now we're going to put all that together because this is not a history lesson about Moses. The Holy Spirit, through scripture here, is talking to us about us. By faith Moses did these things, and we're being taught here just what it is to live by faith. Remember? Hebrews eleven expounds Hebrews ten thirty eight. I think it's twenty verse thirty eight. The just shall live by faith. It's one of the four or five times it's mentioned in the scriptures. We are saved from the world by the blood of the Lamb. We're saved from death, we're saved from condemnation, we're saved from judgment, because Jesus has borne it for us in his death on the cross. Which leads us to leaving the world. Something the Bible calls repentance. Change of mind, change of lifestyle. And celebrate that change, we are baptised in water. And we should be baptised in the Holy Spirit as well. And if you that is not true of you in one of those two respects, talk to us. Because we're doing baptisms in water soon and we'd like to make some time to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you're on a, you haven't arrived, you know, you started. Do you understand? Do you give up driving when you pass your driving test? That's it, now I've, I've, I've got my license. Now you carry on driving. How you start living by faith is how you carry on living by faith. You've started, so you continue. It's a lifestyle. Now I'm not saying first this, then that, then that, because God in his sovereignty will mess us up and... Baptized someone in the Holy Spirit we didn't even know we started to believe yet you know and uh, some people are, you know, um, come to faith and then have to figure out all sorts of things about repentance some people are deeply convicted about their sins and that's how they come to faith so God does it because he's, he's sovereign he does it different ways but it's important in becoming Christian that these things are true You know you're saved, not because of some choice or effort on your part, but because Jesus is your Savior and the Lamb of God to you. It's all about Him. You know that you are leaving the world. You don't have that life anymore. You understand what it is to be baptized in water and to receive the Holy Spirit, and you are continuing to live by faith in God through His Son, Jesus. He is your food and drink, He is your rock. I want to look at the process of faith and obedience that is an to us by Moses. Moses chose. He considered. He chose. He refused. Those are the headlines. By faith. As an issue of faith, Moses considered, thought it through. He made some decisions. And then he took some actions. And the first one was, he said, I, I abdicate my princedom. Of Egypt. I am no longer Egyptian. I almost went into the song from earlier, didn't I? No longer a slave to fear. Well, that's true too. I'm no longer I'm a believer. We're gonna sing in a while, and this is no criticism. We're gonna sing in a while, I think it's one of our last songs: The Cross Before Me, The World Behind Me, No Turning Back. No turning back. Now I, I could wish that. The decision of a moment, probably on a Sunday morning after hearing God's word, would be a full and final fix, but it isn't. Life is a succession of choices and decisions. And in fact, you need to keep, you know, saying and keep enacting the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. One moment on a Sunday will not fix it for good because you'll go back into real life situations and have to make that choice work. Again, and again, and again, and again. Moses chose and kept on choosing. And there's something about Christianity in the past, I don't know how many years, maybe even a hundred years, that it's got so focused on the moment you become a Christian, which is great, that it's stopped talking about the life you now live as a Christian, which is also by faith. The scripture, I've said it before, the scripture doesn't say the just shall come to life by faith. It says they will live by faith. We don't just become a Christian by the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We then continue to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's a way of life. That's a great beginning. But there's a growing and a learning and a changing that happens because we are living now by faith. We live by constant, daily, even hourly choices and decisions on the basis of faith. That's wrong, that's right, this is not good, that's going to please God, this is not good for me, but that is because it's it helps me to pursue my purpose as a Christian and, and, and my standing as a, child, as a child of God. We make those decisions again and again and again. We are in fact engaged in a war for our souls as Peter says. Now listen with me to what for many of us is a familiar text. Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, logical... Most Bibles have spiritual. I don't know why. It's a very poor translation. The word there is not spiritual. It's logical. Service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. One translator memorably put that as, don't let the world press you back into its mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me pull that out for you. The antidote to being conformed to this world is to present yourself as a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord. And Paul says bodies because some of us would say, I've done it with my heart, but your body isn't, gonna, isn't catching up. So he says bodies, so he so, so emphasizes it's the whole of you. The whole thing, not just some little bit inside you. Not just your heart or your soul or something like that. It's you. All of you. The whole thing. Present yourself as a living Holy sacrifice to him. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now if you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you've got to spend some time thinking and considering and praying. That's how your mind gets renewed. It doesn't happen without you knowing about it. It doesn't happen without you putting some effort into it. Your mind will only be renewed when you take time to have it renewed. You know, showers don't happen without you being there. Teeth don't clean themselves. For your mind to be renewed, you have to be active in it. Open to God. Asking for help, asking for wisdom, asking for direction. To make good choices and avoid compromises, you need to consider to have your mind renewed again and again. But there's a conspiracy... At work. Now I'm not into the conspiracy theories, theories about Trump or all anything else, okay? I, I haven't got time to waste my life on YouTube looking up those kind of things. But we are in a battle. There's a conspiracy of the world, the flesh, and the devil, to stop us thinking and considering and meditating and praying and to block the renewing of our minds. The battle is like this. First of all, there's busyness and pressure. I didn't misspell it, I mean we are too busy. There's the word business, which is busyness, but that means you know, you're doing your business. But the problem is, business has become busyness. How many of you feel like you don't you highly have, have a minute's time to yourself? Okay. Uh, maybe some of you aren't in the workplace, but work demands more time, more effort from people, than it has done for over 100 years. I think, we're, I think we're in time for another general strike to shake things up a bit at this rate. We've gone back to a drudgery not seen since the start of the 20th century, probably even before the First World War. People are completely eaten up, chewed up, spat out by the pressure, drudgery of work. <coughs> then there's entertainment, otherwise known as amusement. And you don't even need to sit down in front of a TV nowadays to kind of take some entertainment. We've got handheld devices. We can amuse ourselves on the train anytime. By the way, the amusement's an interesting word. It's from Latin. A muse means don't think. When we are amusing ourselves, we are avoiding thinking. Now, I'm not saying you never have amusement. You never entertain. But bear, recognize this, that amusing and entertaining... Is to avoid thinking. A muse. Social media demands our attention. Let me tell you how that works. Okay. Oh no! Someone, someone's messaging me. Oh, no, and, then they, and then and then and then and then they have as well. They've commented. Oh no! Better. You know by now, I don't. <laughs> don't look at me. I ain't doing it. I've still got a Twitter account, I've still got a Facebook account, but I do not do them. Do you understand? I just don't. And they say again, I'm not trying to be uppity or whatever else, but if you want to say something that you want me to see, you need to tell me. You know, use, use the message thing to talk to me. You know, send me a text, send me an email, even call me, my goodness. Are they still called phones? Because there is a huge amount of time that you can, you can fritter away on social media. It draws us into a continuous state of communication, a kind of natter-chatter kind of environment. And the things that people write are often done with very little thought. Yeah? It's, again, you know, not a lot of thought went into that. You, you might have wanted to say that differently. You know, it's like, oh, come on, you know. You know, it's one of the reasons I often kind of compose something, put it on a note over here. I think, is that right? Then I, then I key it in, into an email or whatever else. Or I, I think about it before I put it there. Because when I don't, I regret it. And then, of course, there's, for centuries, many, many, many centuries, as long as men have been around the planet, the drugs, including alcohol, but, but others nowadays as well. People use substances to avoid reality, to stop thinking. But when a Christian thinks and considers and prays, they'll be helped by the Holy Spirit to better conclusions, to better choices, to better actions. Their minds will be renewed and their faith and obedience to Jesus will be invigorated. So let me ask you a question. Can you sit and think without needing to distract yourself? Can you lie in bed at night or in the morning and think and not think? I'm wasting my time. Or, what I've got to get up and do, whatever. Just take the moments to think. What about turning off the radio or the TV and just thinking? Old friend of mine, wise old preacher, said this if you want to hear the voice of God, turn off the noise, turn off the other voices. I have a hearing problem. It's not a loss of hearing, at least it wasn't the last time I was tested. I, my t- hearing's perfectly normal in a testable testing testing environment. It's tinnitus. It's like a whistling noise. Uh, and noise around me produces that noise more. The more noise there is, so if I'm driving a car and there's there's uh, road noise and, 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 and wind noise and engine noise. This goes, it it's like an air raid siren going on. Sometimes it's deafening. Not the noises around me, but the noise inside my head is deafening. So I'm often very anxious to reduce the noise around me. So in the car, Carol would be, I don't know, reacting when I say this. If Carol starts to talk to me, I have to do something to stop some other noise. So, it, you know, she says, she says what would you do with that? My hand goes, boom. And, and with this finger, I've, I've knocked the radio off completely. She said, what, what, what do you want? can't hear you if I don't stop something else. Do you get the point? I'm making an analogy, not asking for your sympathy. Be eager to dial down, to seek Quiet. There's a reason why we call, used to call times of prayer and Bible reading the quiet time. It's time to really think and to ask and to listen. If I talk about prayer, some of you might think this is about, yeah, or bringing a shopping list. Prayer is about listening to God as well as speaking to God. It's about asking for him and listening to the answer. Listening to what is what impression does he put in your mind, in your heart. And how many times have I been asking the Lord something and it's like ticker tape. This thought goes through my mind. I think, oh, wow, yes. Just just like I'm asking the Lord something and this, this, you know, it's like ding, 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 ding. Do you understand ticker tape? That's somehow how God speaks to me. It's like this thing goes through my mind. This, this sentence goes through my mind. Sermons come to me like that as well. Listen to his voice. Recognize that every one of us lives in a noisy, intrusive world And if I'm going to blame the devil for something for a minute, the prince of this world wants to keep you all noisy and busy and weary so you don't make time to seek and find rest and refreshment and wisdom from the Lord. It's his ploy. It's his plan. Let's keep them busy and weary and worn down and (coughs) fretting. I put up that comparison between Moses... What Moses rejected and what he gained because he focused on the goal, the reward. That's our set of options too. And we face that set of options every day of our lives. Many times in a day. And again, we need an eternal perspective. Worldlings are lost and will be lost. Christian believers are saved and will be saved. That's the end view. And if you don't keep the end view you'll start to fall into making wrong choices and compromises. And we all know deep inside that the pleasures of the world are very temporary and unsatisfying and finally cost us more than any pleasure we've experienced. Remember we read today, they are the passing pleasures of sin. Nothing that the world offers, including money and fame and all the rest of it, is in any way comparable with having Jesus Messiah. It will all pass away. Well, not only will he not pass away, but Scripture says, he who does the will of God will never pass away. We have eternal life with him. So I'm speaking to you today as my fellow Christians, most of you, saved by the blood of Jesus, born of God. Hebrews 11 is not merely a set of biographical portraits of godly people. It is teaching us what it means for the just to live by faith, by example and instruction. We've been set apart from the world by God's sovereign grace to live now by faith in him. In Moses we see that thought and choice form actions. In this sense, we get to choose Christ day after day after day and reject the passing pleasures of sin and the pattern of this world. That consideration and choice happens every day of our lives and that is an essential part of what it means to live by faith. Choices, decisions, and consequences. Good choices, good decisions have good consequences, not always in the short term, but over the long term. They are best for us. In fact, choices, decisions and consequences sums up life anyway. You reap what you sow. You reap the decisions you've made. But there's a good outcome or a bad outcome depending on what choices and decisions you've made. So make the good the right choice. Make the wise choice. I could add not the stupid one. Make the faith-filled choice the one you need to trust God to do. Make the soul-preserving choice, the one that preserves you in the love of God, keeps you there experiencing His life and His grace. Make the gracious and loving choice, the one that serves others rather than serves you. More than anything else, make the God-honoring choice. We live by faith we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That means we read the Bible and we obey it. And we live not for ourselves but for him. Moses had to make some serious choices which cost him in the short term. That is how life will be for us. You up for it? Yes. Even to suffer for Jesus is better than being rich in this world. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Instead of Moses, that he was a beautiful child. But Lord Jesus, you are a wonderful Savior, glorious King. And if our hearts were more captured by your glory, by your beauty, we might say, the choices that we face would seem much more straightforward. How could I choose that and dishonor him? How could I do that and displease him? So the Holy Spirit capture our hearts in again to Jesus, who tells us that we're to feed on him and live in him. As we do so, we'll bear much fruit, and whatever we ask for, it will be given to us. Jesus, we sing, you are the center. But we commit ourselves again to make those decisions and take those actions that continually puts you back there at the center. I I say of myself, Lord, uh, I'm sure it's true for all of us, our feet are prone to wander. Our attention is so easily pulled away. And so we come again and say, Holy Spirit, help us to see him who is invisible, to focus on the center and source of our whole of life to us. Jesus, our Saviour and our King. We worship you. We worship you. Maybe you haven't yet come to know him. Maybe this is all information about something to you rather than something that is happening in your life. Let me just say in this moment now. You could ask him right now to become your rescuer, your forgiving God you're restoring King the one who comes and takes hold of you read earlier bruised reed he strengthens torch that's almost gone out he rekindles if you have a life that's broken ask him to come and help you to put it back together again because he's, he's there to do that he'll show you what to do and as you listen to him and follow him you'll find the life will begin to be more as it should be for the glory of God. Ask him right now. Make you choose your own words. Speak to him. Help me, Lord Jesus. Save and rescue me, Lord Jesus. as we come to breaking bread I don't know who's serving but there'll be some people over here and over here